Welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's money com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Hello and welcome. It's Crystal Arnold, your hostess of Money Wise Women and founder of Money Morphosis. So, money is a funny thing, isn't it? Yet we often don't laugh at it. It often doesn't seem humorous. It often seems rather serious and perhaps stressful and emotional to many people. And yet it's like the air that we breathe. It's something which is essential for navigating this modern world is that we need to exchange money to meet our needs to collaborate with others um, in certain ways. And so it's essential to really have um, an enjoyable relationship with it and really be able to uh, take it a little more lightly and to really find greater appreciation and, and depth of, of love for our finances. And so this is, you know, a, a big intention around um, this show is bringing greater awareness and um, understanding to money and all kinds of wealth and, and uh, value. And so uh, in July, I was very, um, uh, I had a great experience at uh, Jean Houston's Social Artistry uh, week-long workshop here in Ashland, Oregon. It was called The Odyssey. And this is where I met our guest today for the first time. Rebecca Rhapsody was one of the facilitators. And it was an incredibly deep dive into our own personal um, you know, beliefs and, and really a transformative process. And I was just so inspired by the way that um, Rhapsody facilitated and, and really allowed for the stories and the wisdom of the group to be brought forward for uh, greater compassion and, and transformation. And so I am so pleased to have her on today. Um, we are also collaborating on an event in October, which we will tell you more about. It is called Funny Money, and it is um, a theater experience. It's a two-day workshop, which culminates in a public performance, and the topic will be around money and our transformative experiences with it. And we've both seen this time and time again where people are um, invited to really share authentically about struggles and triumphs in their life and the incredible relief that people feel um, and an ability to really uh, feel more resourced and more connected with others 
And so super excited to, to do this particular um, story bridge experience, which Rebecca is a trained facilitator of on the theme of money, right? Because it is so um, often there is um, some shame or guilt or fear that can keep people from talking about it. And so let me tell you a little bit more about um, Rebecca Rhapsody and who she is. First and foremost, she is really a story weaver. Uh, she is the co-founder of Story Connective and has over 10 years of teaching artist experience as a champion of creativity of both self and group connections. And she is a lifelong student of permaculture and social artistry. And Rhapsody is uh, super passionate about connecting people to themselves, to each other, and the earth through inspiring stories and experiences. And she is also a, um, a trained story bridge facilitator. And so delighted. Uh, she has a podcast that you can find, The Story Connective, if you want to hear more about that. Um, it's www.storyconnective.org. So delighted to have you here today, Rhapsody. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Crystal. I'm delighted to be here. Hmm. I'd love to begin. Uh, by hearing what what do you find most exciting and satisfying about the work that you do? Mm, exciting and satisfying about the work that I do. I really love creativity. I find it really inspiring how each person that I see has the ability to to be creative and to be creative in a way that I can't be creative, in a way that you can't be creative, but only the way that that particular person can be creative. So when I'm looking at a group of people, I, I'm getting to tap into the potential of each and every one of those individuals, and there's just so much there. And so I get inspired on how does that creativity and that potential, how does it collaborate into creating something that's really engaging and exciting for, for everybody who's involved and ideally for our collective community and culture too. Mm. So incredibly powerful in these times, yes, to, to have greater connection and, and awareness. Um, I, I would love to hear if you're willing to share a little bit about your own journey with money and anything that may uh, help listeners understand who you are and, and what brought you here and, and why you value what you do. Huh. Well, my own journey with money continues to unfold. What comes to mind is that I've been blessed to live in a variety of situations. Um, I was born and raised on the island of Maui, where I was surrounded by such an abundance of beauty all the time. The natural resources on that island are amazing. And so wherever I was driving, often I would have beautiful views of the ocean and beautiful views of the sky and these beautiful sunsets every single day. And that instilled in me a, a great value for nature. Um, in moments where I was feeling more vulnerable or more sad or more angry or whatever, I would find little 
areas to to go on the island where I would return to and just have relationships with the mountain there. Um, And just, I found that it was always a friend that I could turn to. So that's what instilled a deep value in that to me. And uh, I I come from a middle-class family, but uh, my, my parents actually grew up on the East Coast. And I grew up, as I said, on the island of Maui, which is a bit of a different culture. So I started bridging different cultures at a very young age for that, because Maui is such a mixing pot of, of well, of course, you have the Hawaiian indigenous culture. That's been a, a, a great, valuable um, teacher for me throughout my life. Um, but you also have a lot of Japanese influences, a lot of Portuguese influences, Filipino influences. It's, it's a fascinating place to grow up. And I remember feeling really lucky that I was able to go to the mainland pretty much like every other year growing up and visiting family um, that's where we'd always go is to visit family because that's what we use our resources for. And I had friends in high school that had never left the island because their family just couldn't afford it. Um, and I remember sitting in an AP biology class because I, I was an AP student. I did the whole straight A's thing. And I did that very specifically um, using my own personal resources so I could go to a school that was on the mainland. Because by being a straight A student in high school, that meant that I would be able to get the scholarships and the financial support that my family needed to send me someplace to the mainland for college. And that's where I really wanted to go. Um, And I remember being in an AP biology class and finding out that, well, my mom was paying for my AP test. But I had friends in that class that I talked to every single day that were paying their own way to take those tests because they value that, that for themselves not because their family was valuing it for them and enabling them to do it. And that was that was a very eye-opening moment for me. And uh, I remember a couple summers after that working in a dive shop, which is a, a scuba diving shop where we booked activities and tours and having families of four coming in and booking activities to do on the island, like going on dives, going on horseback riding, all these fun things you can do on the island, and thinking nothing of dropping $1,000 on three different activities. So for three days of experiences, dropping over $1,000, like not even three days, for four hours of activities, dropping like $1,000. And me thinking, oh my gosh, wow, that's something that my family wouldn't do. That's not something that we can afford or that we choose not that's that was just outside of my perspective um and then talking about that with friends that I went to college with because I went to a school that if you're paying the full price cost forty thousand dollars a year as a lot of schools do here and friends that I had there telling me that's how my family goes on vacation and just having that eye-opening moment of being in the spectrum of of all of that and getting to see and perceive and connect with the person first it's not about like what the how your family goes on vacation or whether or not you're paying for something or your family's paying something for you um but just understanding such a how how money is is just a thing it's not a person it's not the value itself it's just how people are able to use it and why is it that some people are able to afford some things and other people aren't able to afford other things when we're all just people it just got me thinking about some of those things and an underlying story in all of that is a story. Each, like I just told you my story, uh, or a part of my story, because we all have many stories. And I've, there's the stories of the families of my friends that were on the mainland and the stories of my fa- my friends who were in class with me in, in high school. 
and each individual has a story and each individual has a way of relating to it and how fun and dynamic it is for me and inspiring in a way that's hard to put into words to hear the stories of individuals that are in different backgrounds and are in different um that do have values in different ways and to to find that aliveness that happens when those stories connect. And I think that's what I mean when I say I'm a story weaver. Well, it's one of the things that I mean when I say I'm a story weaver is can I, we, what happens when we weave the stories of people with different backgrounds together and different perspectives together uh, to create something larger than the whole? Um, mm. I think it's very awakening and enlivening and mm. possibly transformative. Yes. Wow, thanks for thanks for sharing some of those pivotal awakenings to to money and what what it means in your own life and it, it is so fascinating. I encourage listeners like the next time someone reveals something uh, about their money situation that they inherited money or they have certain amount of investments or came from a wealthy family or it's uh it's so fascinating to notice our own judgments about that about their their place and and the privilege and it's uh it, it's really there's a lot of unspoken um opinions and uh perspectives that we we form largely from our early years and childhood about uh, our beliefs about money that then impacts all all of our um exchanges and, and ways we relate to it ourselves. Um, so, so why do you think it is so important and uh, um, transformative when people open up and share their stories, especially something like money that's kind of taboo? Mm. I think it's important and transformative when we share our stories because in the process of communicating them, we get to see them and hear them and and understand them in a in a really healing, unifying sort of way. At least it can be healing and unifying. What I mean by that is is when I've shared stories of things that have happened to me in the past, and I'm sharing them with another person, um, and particularly when there's an exchange and my story is being received by somebody, I get to see them receive my story and in the process of telling the story I begin to understand why I'm telling the story and why some of the story has has stuck with me sometimes in 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 ways that I'm not even aware of like oh I'm I'm I experienced this when I was younger and therefore this this feeling of, of doubt that I got in that experience is still affecting me today and when I'm sharing the story with you right now I'm I'm seeing that and I'm experiencing it and I'm getting to 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 bring light to it and and make a choice and make a choice on how I'm relating to that story making a choice of how I'm defining that story and relating that story to my experience in this present moment and and that's really empowering it has the it has the potential to be very empowering hmm. so I'd love to hear um, if you could describe for people what exactly the StoryBridge experience is and what they may expect if they come to Funny Money and what kind of um, impacts you've seen on individuals and, and communities when they go through this kind of 
uh, transformative storytelling experience. Mm, sure. If you come to a StoryBridge workshop, you will be in a group usually of between 30 to 60 people. And each person there is going to have the opportunity to share their story with another person there or a couple of different people there. And we, we give everybody a prompt. And so everyone's sharing the same story, um, sharing a story that, that has a similar value or a similar theme. Um, and that right there is fascinating to me because then we begin to see how all of our different stories rhyme even though we have such different life experiences. And um, so a theme that I've used before is talk about food and a time that really nourished you or a time that you felt very unnourished or talk about a time that you experienced the the death of an idea or the death of of, of an experience, something that you thought was, was alive but it, it died for you and what came out of that experience. So they can be really, really deep prompts or they can be like a little bit more shallow. Another one that we've done is talk about a time that you were bit by the snake, um, the snake in this time being um, something that, that that's kind of scary. And how did that snake bite turn into medicine for you? So these are moments with grit in them, moments that, that we all have, because to be alive and to live a story is to, is to have grit and to have conflict. Conflict is something that moves us forward in our lives. And so it's a prompt that, that links to that in those types of themes. Um, and each person is invited to intuitively listen to what story comes up for them with that prompt. Because whatever that first story is, is likely the story that wants to get told. So it's an intuitive process in that way. And really listen to if that story is like itching at you and nudging at you, like this is the one, this is the one that I want to tell. And, and if, if you're personally feeling like, nope, that's not the story, I, I'm, I'm not quite ready to, to reveal that story, that's perfectly fine too. You can choose your comfort level on what kind of story you want to tell because it's your story ultimately. And everybody gets into partners and has a few minutes to share that story. And then story is shared back to them in the first person. So if I were to tell you, Crystal, the story of when I was a little girl growing up on the island of Maui, and you listen to my story and then you tell that story back to me, you're going to tell that story back to me saying, when I was a little girl growing up on the island of Maui, even though that maybe wasn't your story, because you're saying it in the first person as if it happened to you. And that right there hardwires us into our empathic abilities as humans. Um, the, that ability of us to, to overpass our, our personal egos in the moment and, and to connect to a different person's story. And to, if, if you're telling me a story that happened to, to me, but you're telling it as if it happened to you, you are going to start imagining that story and, and having experiences and connections with that story that, that are very personal. And it's, it's an amazing thing to share that with another person. And it's amazing to hear somebody share your story back to you. And the things that they pick up on and the things that they don't pick up on and the things that uh, maybe were really large to you, they can say it in a certain way that completely changes my perspective on my own story. And we create a container for this. We create a situation where everybody's feeling a lot of love and support. 
And that's really, really important to us. And so when I've had difficult stories for me, stories that I myself am wrapped up in judgment of myself for, shared back to me with love and compassion, it allows me to feel more love and compassion and forgiveness for myself in those moments and to choose how I want to relate to that experience going forward. So that's really amazing. And then in the process of StoryBridge, certain stories move on to a next round of telling and then a next round of telling and then a next round of telling until we've got roughly seven stories from the group that are the stories that the group has chosen to be turned into performance. And so those stories are, are going to be enacted by the rest of the group. And we've got many hands and many bodies embodying these stories and bringing them to life and really feeling into these stories and looking through these stories and, and recognizing what they want to highlight about them and what it is that they want to low light about them. And do they want to make this part funny? Do they want to make this part dramatic? Do we want to make this really physical? And it's just a lot of fun. It's playmaking, quite literally. That's what it's called. It's called playmaking. We're making a play together by enacting these stories and playing together. And music gets added in until these stories become something so much larger than one person, um, so much larger than just one person's story. It becomes all of our story as we're creating this process. And then we perform this play to the wider audience, to the greater audience. We invite um, people from the community to come and watch the play. And there's a discussion afterwards where we get to reflect on the process of creating the play, reflect on the, reflect on the process of receiving the play if we're in the audience. And uh, something I just adore about theater is that after we've performed the play and created the play, each person in that space that either was in the play or watched the play has a shared experience, something that you could, you could have put on camera. Um, and so it's really easy for us to talk about things that otherwise we aren't really able to talk about. Because um, then we can say, oh, in that moment when that girl um, fell down on the ground, I felt this. And each person knows exactly what that moment is, exactly why that girl fell on the ground. And, and things can just come up. And they're being, come, they're being held by a group of people to come up, not just one-on-one, -on -one, not just in my own head trying to source through things. And it, it can be really powerful. Hmm. So that was, and I, I can explain some, some more concrete examples of what this has done for people or for places that have done it, if you like, too. Sure. Let's just, uh, yeah, when I participated in the StoryBridge experience and, and we had our performance with, Gosh, there were over 60 people there uh, mm -hmm. in the workshop, and it was just um, so much compassion for, for the human experience and the depth of, you know, challenges that people have gone through and, and come out stronger. And just, uh, I felt such um, amazement at the uniqueness of each person and yet the the common themes and and the humanness of of our experience and so i i find that it is um is super powerful people don't need any acting experience it's really low no. uh low pressure you know it's like just a, a simple way but people were so willing to to get vulnerable and and how um 
how much insight it brought to the audience, you know, in the discussion that we had afterwards and, and that we'll have at the end of this event. Just so many ahas and like, oh, I'm not alone in my, you know, uh, my weirdness about money, for instance, or I, I think it just brings a lot of illumination and clarity to our humanness. And that's really important these days. And if you did want to share any examples now, that would be great, too. Yeah, definitely. What you said, that it brings illumination to our humanness. That's that's a really large motivator of why we do this work and the importance of this work and why we, we ask people to... To, to stretch beyond maybe their everyday experience because by stretching beyond our everyday experiences, that's where we're going to encounter humanness in a way that's really fresh and that's really connective. And we are living at a time that the more connections we can create in our communities and the more, the more compassion we can create within those connections, the stronger our communities are going to be and the stronger we are as individuals and as, and as groups. And I, I have an example of that. There is a town in Georgia. It's a very small town. It has about a thousand, most two thousand people, named Colquitt. Anybody can go there. You can look it up. It's called Colquitt, Georgia. And 25 years ago, uh, Richard Owen Gear, who's the uh, the director, who's the founder of this Story Bridge technique, came to Colquitt, Georgia, on the invitation of a woman who had lived there, there her entire life, named Joy Jinks. And they decided that they were going to put on a play based on the real-life stories of the people in the community. And they called this play Swamp Gravy. Now, Swamp Gravy is a traditional cultural dish in southern Georgia where people take their leftovers, whatever you can find in the fridge, and they, they mix those up with tomatoes and rice and um, what's left over from frying fish. And they make it into something called Swamp Gravy. And so it was a very fitting thing, like, oh, let's all throw together the things that we've got in our stories and turn it into a play together. And that's what they did. And they've been doing this for 25 years now. And there's been research done on the town of Colquitt, Georgia, that shows that the people in that town have traits of self-confidence and self-value and um, the ability to to imagine and lean into their potential that other small towns that are of the same size and the same demographic and the same geography don't have as much of. Uh, Colquitt ranked higher on the scale of, of this research in those areas, um, those areas of what I would call resiliency, group community resiliency, as well as individual resiliency. And connections were formed that maybe otherwise weren't going to be formed because it's, it's important and really juicy when story bridges are um, combining people from different backgrounds. So for the funny money story bridge that we're doing in Ashland, Oregon, we are focusing on reaching out to people of different ages. So we're going to have people under the age of 30 in the room and people over the age of 60 in the room. And that's a really fun cross-cultural difference that, that can bring a lot of fantastic things to light. In Colquitt, Georgia, it was not only intergenerational, but it was also intercultural. And um, there were people from the black community in the room and people from the white community in the room interacting and creating something larger than themselves together. And from that experience, the chief of the fire department, the fire department was right across the street from the theater, ended up having a relationship with this young black teenage boy who was 
just in love with firefighting. And through this relationship of the fire chief and this teenage boy who were both attracted by Swamp Gravy and, and formed this relationship in the, the magic that was Swamp Gravy, the fire department ended up integrating for the first time in the town's history. And they allowed volunteer black members into their volunteer fire brigade for the first time. Wow, I just get shivers. Like the power of that is incredible. What a success. Wow. That is such a great example of, of the power of this process and how it transforms not only individuals, but also communities and does create greater resilience and ability to, uh, to know their resources and, and the people and feel greater community connection and, and create that resilience that's needed to respond to unpredictable changes or natural disasters or financial crash you know it's like we really need to to be resilient and absolutely this uh this type of experience and this um social technology if you will of story bridge uh absolutely creates resilience um so we're, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the importance of connection with place and some of the things that you're involved with um, in Hawaii and, and just uh, kind of that level of community economy and, and connection. So we will be back in just one minute. Do you get choked up and flush talking about money? Don't let fear and shame stop you from sharing your value. Speak up, sister. Find out how to boost your financial communication skills at www.findyourmoneyvoice.com. Perhaps you're like Gwen, a budding creative entrepreneur who wants to provide for her family, but she has a tough time expressing her needs. She chronically undercharges and lays awake at night with money stress. With Crystal's Find Your Money Voice training, she found renewed confidence speaking her self-worth. Transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. With greater clarity and focus, Gwen more confidently negotiated solid agreements and increased her business earnings with the trainings found at Find Your Money Voice. Hello, we are back with Rebecca Rhapsody talking about story weaving and and now would like to also explore, you know, some the significance of connection with place and the value that comes when we are connected not only with the people in our local communities, but also the environment and the ways that we acknowledge and value our natural resources and how we choose to steward those as communities. And so often our modern day, what I like to call an extractive economy, sucks the value out of communities, whether it's the physical water or, um, you know, the, the human capital and genius uh, being um, 
taken to cities from small rural towns. There's many ways in which um, many of our uh, communities have have become impoverished and not only financially through through corporations often taking advantage of, of resources, but, but also kind of the isolation that leads to impoverishment, the lack of connection with other people uh, for productive, creative purposes where each person's individual unique genius can be offered and received by their community. And I see it again and again. So many people are suffering because of these these dynamics that are happening, especially in modern day America. And I, I was so inspired by hearing about some of the opportunities and, and projects that you're involved with. Um, and uh, yeah, would, would just love to hear, um, you know, what that is and what is it that really causes us to care about things and each other and how we uh, use our natural resources. Hmm. So the question here is what, what, what projects, am I, what am I up to on Maui, which is definitely a story, and what causes us to care about those resources, care about the financial resources around us? Yeah, and whatever inspired you there and what I said, you can share. Okay. Fantastic. The natural resources around us. Uh, so Maui is uh, is a place that I really hold dear because I have such a, a deep relationship with it. So many places on that island I have memories of from when I was little, from when I was not so little. Um, and there's, there's such a, a feeling, a visceral feeling for me being in Hawaii that comes from, I believe, and many people believe, aloha. Aloha being a word that a lot of people, when they hear it, they're like, oh, yeah, that means hello or that means goodbye, right? And, yes, it does, but it, it means even more than that. Aloha is a presence. Um, quite, really, quite literally, alo means presence in aloha. And ha means to breathe. It means to the breath of life, the thing, every single thing is breathing in and breathing out. Like we're breathing in oxygen and breathing out carbon dioxide. The trees are breathing in carbon dioxide and breathing out oxygen. And there's a connection there. Ha also is the, is the, the word for the sound that the ocean makes. And I just love that because the waves are going in and out also like breath. So there is this deep, deep connection. Um, aloha, if you put it all together, means alo, presence, oha, joy, and ha, breathing. And so it's to be in this present moment, sharing joy and breath, being alive with you. And there, for me, there is just that feeling in Hawaii in a lot of different places. And how do you get people to – in Hawaii right now, there's, there's a lot of change going on. We've got a lot of development going on on the island, more so than ever before. And the largest change on Maui right now is that for the last 140 years, the central valley of the island has been covered with this green, tall grass that we call sugarcane. Now, sugarcane's been in the islands for a very long time. Um, but 140 years ago, it started getting grown in a monoculture crop as far as the eye, as the eye can see sugarcane situation. And there's 36,000 acres of Hawaii 
that are of Maui that are currently covered in sugarcane. And in December 2016, that industry closed down on the island. So the last sugarcane factory that was producing sugar is, is has closed its door and is no longer going to be a factory. And that land that's been growing sugarcane for the last 140 years is no longer going to be growing sugarcane. And so it's this big question of, well, what is going to happen to that land? And what is going to happen to the water that has been growing that sugarcane for a really long time? And sugarcane is a very thirsty crop. And it brings up a lot of questions of, of, of what should happen. And so the project that I'm working on on Maui is, is using art and creativity and storytelling to engage with people with what they want to see happen on the island and to engage with people about what is happening and to, to keep their eyes open and to, to keep caring about this Central Valley because it, it, it's possible. There are other islands in the world that have become very developed in a concrete buildings, many, many buildings sort of way. Um, and the, the company that owns that land is also into real estate and development. Um, and so it, that is something that they are looking at doing to the islands, not necessarily that they are going to do that, but it is something that they could possibly be doing. Um, and so we are looking at it from a, a creative perspective and a bringing people together perspective on how can we, we really find embracing um, amongst our differences for for caring about the future of this island that we all care about so much? And how can we educate each other and empower each other to make choices that are empowering for our future and for our natural resources and natural beauty on the island of Maui? Hmm. Hmm. How, how do you notice people, um, how do how are people who are engaged in this kind of work what what do you see like light up inside of them why is this important and satisfying work for you and others mm. this work is important to me because I there's a history there and you were asking earlier about how how does that connection and that caring happen. I think creating and connecting people to the shared history is a big part of it. Um, that water has been on the island for a really long time, for generations, pre-human, running from the top of the mountain to the ocean um, along these creek beds that have formed over time in, in the wisdom of nature's way of forming that, that's formed these relationships with the animals that are there, et cetera. And that the humans, when, and when humans first came to Hawaii, they had a relationship with those lands too to cultivate their crops um, using the natural water flows of the island. And there's, a, there's just like the substance to, to knowing the history of a place and letting that history of the place inform what it wants to be in the present. And then in my own personal life, um, all of these places have history for me. I grew up in swimming in streams on the island. I grew up dancing on the oceans of these island, of this island. And so when I walk along the ocean and I see trash there and I see plastic there and I see styrofoam there, I personally get really sad. Um, mm -hmm. And I recognize that, that, that if I don't care, then my children, who I hope to grow up on the island of Maui, might not be able to enjoy these natural resources the way that I was able to when I was younger and their children's children might not be able to enjoy them either. So they, it, it's coming from a place of what if and 
it's so easy to imagine the the problems of of like a, a a negative possibility like oh man if we if we if we just keep littering what what could happen and so what we're doing is we're looking at the what if in the positive way what if our beaches were so clean that they're known throughout the world as being the cleanest beaches in the world and people are coming to us to learn the solutions of these problems that's what we want to do like what if we can introduce having regenerative relationships with the soil and regenerative relationships with the water there that that is so beneficial to the people on the island, to the economy on the island, because tourism is a really big thing there, and to the the, the animals and the, the natural biology of the island that we're just making it better and better and better. And people come to us to learn how to do this. We could be an example to the world of what a regenerative island looks like that's really sustaining itself. Because right now Maui gets 90% of its products shipped to it. And if you're wow. looking at resilience, if if something were to happen to the ships that were coming in, if there was a strike in California that was stopping the ships from coming in, which has happened. Um, we ran out of supplies. We did. Um, if, if something happens to the outside world and we're getting 90% of our products, including a lot of our food, I think we, we grow about someplace between 60 to 30, some of our food, depending on what type it is. So if you're just looking at a produce, I think we get someplace between 30 to 60, depending on what that type of produce is. Um, but 90% overall gets shipped in. Um, what What's that going to look like if, if there's a disaster and those ships can't come in? And so we're looking at the resiliency of the island and looking at that from a perspective that's really valuing the culture and the assets that we've got and really valuing the natural assets that we've got and all the abundance of water that this island has and really making sure that we're stewarding those resources in a way that that makes sense for the the needs of that island and the needs of the people for generations to come. Um, mm. And we're doing that in a celebration sort of way. So what kind of murals can we paint on the wall that get people engaged with the beauty of this island and the aloha spirit of these islands? Uh, what kind of art pieces can we make sure that people are, are getting to see and interact with to start to, to start those dialogues and start those conversations of, of what does it look like to care? What does it look like to have such an amazing future on this island that we're, we're, we're celebrating it and loving it and, and sharing in, in this really harmonious way? Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, it really makes me think of all the things of value that are not monetized, that don't have a price tag, that the relationships you know, that are created, uh, you know, that we just can't measure some of these really valuable things. And uh, I'd love to talk a little bit more about expanding our definition of wealth and capital. And there's, uh, you know, many different perspectives on this. In in my own work, I've created a true wealth template, which uh, has four categories of wealth, that there is financial but there's also inner wealth, relational, and environmental. And when people have a more mm-hmm. holistic picture of what's most valuable, then they can orient towards creating greater, um, you know, satisfaction and making decisions that, that create true wealth. Because there's a sort of, um, when our only goals are financial, it really leads to some of the environmental destruction and 
other problems that we are seeing today. Um, there's also Meta Capital uh, with Fernanda Ibarra, which has 10 forms of capital. And then you're also familiar with a, a permaculturalist, um, Ethan Rowland, who speaks of eight forms of capital. And um, I, I have those pulled up if you want me to read them or would you like to speak some more about this topic? Sure. I'd love to talk about that topic. And it's really important, that type of work, I think, Crystal, that you're, you're doing to create the, the four forms of wealth or because it, mm -hmm. it changes the story. It changes the context and the framework. It's, I was certainly raised thinking, okay, success is fine. I was raised more than that too, but it, it's a mainstream thing that got into my psyche for sure that financial success is so important in life and that without financial success, um, I, I cannot be happy. Oof. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's something I'm still rewiring right now. And to, to change it and to recognize, no, financial is just one of the ways that we create wealth in our life. Um, financial capital is just one of the ways that capital shows up in our life is, is really important. And so now when I'm, when I'm doing a project, I'm looking at how can I create other types of capital as well. Um, particularly for me, I'm, I'm looking at how can I create social capital and how can I create cultural capital? Um, so you mentioned Ethan Rowland. I'm a huge fan of his work. And the eight forms of capital that he's identified is social capital, material capital, financial capital, of course, living capital, cultural capital, experiential capital, intellectual capital, and spiritual capital. It's a lot of capital. So I'm going to break down a couple of those. Uh, cultural capital, which is I'm, I'm fascinated by, is it describes the, the shared internal and external process of community. So what are the works of art and theater that each person in this community understand and the songs that every child learns growing up? And what is our ability to come together in celebration of these things or to celebrate a holiday, celebrate a festival, an event? And cultural capital cannot happen just from individuals alone. It's an emergent property of a complex system of different people's um, personal values coming together and the values of that place and that history. Um, so I, I, what we're doing on Maui is creating cultural capital around regenerative um, education. And then social capital is, is how do we create those connections? How do we create um, those connections between individuals, connections between businesses, um, so a good example of this is if somebody does me a favor, then there's, there's a bond there. There's, there's an exchange that's happened there because they've done me a favor. And consequently, that, that can deepen the relationship. And I'm more likely to do them a favor in return in the future. And that is very bonding and very connective and creates more resilience as well, as well as connection in general, like emotional connection. So I really look a lot at those. And then in my life, I'll make choices based on developing experiential capital. Experiential capital meaning um, what can I do to, to gain experience? Um, what is it like to plant a garden? That's something that really one has to experience in order to have that skill. And that might not mean that I that might be hard to define in finances, but when it comes to the, the value that I get from that experience or being able to offer that experience to another person, then that's really fantastic. And it's just another way of defining wealth and looking at the financial system that I, I use in my own life to, to guide some of my choices. 
Hmm. Yes, we are shifting the story and really getting what I see like a more colorful picture of our capacities. And it's like a treasure hunt, seriously, like, you know, just uncovering these layers of, of value and skills and resources and connections. And when we um, really approach life in this asset-based way where we're looking at, okay, what, what's working? What assets do we have in our communities? Um, you know, it, it feels a lot more empowering and productive to me, whether we're talking about, you know, within our individual lives or within our teams at, at work and business or in our larger communities with these asset-based approaches, uh, you know, we don't get mired down in what's not working and, and kind of that, that complaining about the overwhelming number of problems and challenges that we face. And so I feel like defining capital and really mapping our assets on those different levels is uh, crucial for being able to um, creatively, um, well, create resilience uh, for one. Um, and, yeah. and, I find, and also measuring impact too, like measuring what kind of impact am I having? Um, as someone who's has a business, I, I can look at my success through like, okay, well, how much did I earn financially through this? That's one way to look at it. And I, I find it a lot more enriching to also look, well, what kind of social relationships did I form during this project? What type of cultural experiences did I create for others during this project? And, and defining my success through these different lenses as well. Mm-hmm. Really yeah, enriching. I, totally. I did some research and found that the word authority and author have the same Latin root word, which basically means to cause to grow. And so mm. we step into our authorship and, oh, we don't need to take the mainstream story of success as purely financial, for example, um, that we are able to actually have greater authority as individuals and, and communities about what is most valuable. And I, I think story, are, as humans, our storytelling capacity is this underutilized superpower, right? It's like so, yeah. so much what we need uh, in these times of, of great change. Um, yeah. yeah, storytelling can expand perception. And I think we need that right now. Is it, it's Einstein that has a quote that says that we cannot solve problems from the same, same perspective that we created them. And mm-hmm. I'm, one reason why I'm so drawn to storytelling is that the more stories that we hear expands our perceptions of what is possible. The stories that we see and hear shape what we think is possible. And there's so much that is possible that's outside that mainstream um, narrative that that we've been told um here's a great example (laughs) Mm -hmm. are you familiar with the plant plantain yes Uh uh-huh yeah um i just met plantain about two years ago and it's amazing um plantain is this plant that grows all over the world it grows in compact soils which means that if a if a soil has been trodden upon by many people many animals vehicles even, that's where plantain is most likely to grow. So it decompacts the soil, so it's creating an added value that way because when the soil is less compact, that means more plants can grow there and their roots can get down there. And plantain, which is found 
so commonly in in all the different continents except for Antarctica. Um, and I'm sure if I got up, I could probably find some around me somewhere right now. Um, it's amazing for bug bites. And so if I'm itching like crazy at a mosquito bite that I was given, I can find this plant, plantain, and just rub it between my fingers and create kind of a greenish paste with it and put that on my bug bite, and my bug bite's going to stop itching. And um, my my partner just got stung by a wasp recently. He found some plantain. <laughs> he put that plantain on his skin, and it helped within 10 seconds of that sting going away. And it's something that is, is free. It, it just grows, and it has so much value. And I didn't know about that. And so I I've definitely bought the, the cream from the store that I've put on bug bites when I'm itching so hard. And it's, it's, it's completely expanded my perception of what's possible to know that there's a plant that goes for free out of the ground that I can use for something like that. Mm. And that perspective to me is sufficiency. There is enough. There's plenty. It's so different than the scarcity matrix, which we're um, enculturated in that there's never enough that we have to consume something to be enough and just the way that uh, that leads to hoarding and, and when it's like, oh, you see all, all around you is nature's abundance and just uh, open to that, that feeling of, of sufficiency. It's a huge shift. Um, mm-hmm. What else do you want to share about here at the end? I just wanted to open it up to whatever else you'd like to speak about. Well, I like that I like that you just talked about the 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 enoughness because that is something that really um, comes up in storytelling often. I've been tracking that thought in my head this week, which has shown up a little bit more. And because I I have the perception that there's other stories out there, when I start hearing that story, I'm not enough. To me, that's a question. That's an opportunity for me to stop and really check in with my breath and find the enoughness within my breath and make a different choice and, and choose what can I do in this moment. And that really brings a lot of resilience to me as well. Um, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown, if you're familiar with her. Mm-hmm. She's a yeah, you, researcher. You tell yeah. Huh? Oh, go ahead and tell listeners who might not know her. She's a research storyteller that's done some amazing research that expands people's perceptions um, around how to live and how to love and how to work and how to parent in, in ways that are, are focused more on enoughness and wholehearted living. And she does a lot of work around um, encouraging more vulnerability in our lives because vulnerability allows us to have connection. And I, I found it really useful to hear from her work that shame is universal. It's, it's, it's normal to, to fear that we don't have enough and that, and to feel shameful about something like that. Um, And I think it's really easy to feel that way about money. And she says that the only people who don't experience shame are the ones who don't have human empathy or connection. Like everyone experiences these feelings. And the more that we do talk about it, the more we share our stories, the more we share when we aren't feeling good enough and allow that to be a way for us to connect. Um, the more we really allow ourselves to be seen and really connect with others. And that's also a reason why I find the storytelling work that I do really powerful is it's creating those spaces for people to share 
um, and to be vulnerable so that they can find connection within themselves and connection with others that allow us to get above that not enoughness and find a new perception and a new way of relating to our daily life and the people around us. Mm. Yes, well said. There's so many opportunities to, uh, to shift in, in our daily lives. And so I invite mm-hmm. people who do feel triggered in some way around enoughness or feeling scarcity, there's not enough time or money or people in my life, you know, to, to really pause. And like you said, just connect with the breath and look um, more deeply into that, that belief. Um, so let's see, I'd, uh, I'd love to hear from you if people are interested in your work. Um, you could tell them a little bit more about the Story Connective, mention the website um, again, and anything else you'd like to share. Thanks. Yeah, I'd love to tell more people about the Story Connective. And that's connective, like connective tissue, the Story Connective. And what we are doing is that we are telling stories via podcasts and YouTube videos and more and more so facilitated experiences too, like StoryBridge. We're telling stories that connect people to possibility and resilience that are expanding that perception of what is possible. Because the stories that we've seen here do shape what we think is possible. And I feel really strongly that if that to to connect with nature and what's possible when we do connect and really watch what nature is capable of and to connect with to ways to care about ourselves and to care about people and to care about the earth, that's where resiliency is really going to come from. And as we see more um, fascinating weather changes as we have been recently, um, like huge hurricanes have been hitting the East Coast with more um, frequency than anybody can remember in human history. The more we have resiliency, the more safe we're all going to be in all of these great changes that are coming up. And there's so many amazing people around the world that have been looking at the solutions and been looking at how do we respond to changes that are happening in the world? How do we respond to some of the more negative feedback loops that we've been getting about um, degradation of our, nat- of our natural resources on this planet? And what Story Connective is doing is it's highlighting these stories of success, these stories of possibility, these people that are living it and walking it and um, trusting that the more that we understand and see these inspiring stories, the more hopefully people will be inspired to to try on some new perceptions and some new ways of being and doing and thinking for themselves and, and find resiliency and possibility and inspiration in their own lives. Mm. Yes. The episodes I've listened to certainly do that super inspiring. And if you go to um, storyconnected.org, you can find a whole, um, whole episode on that town in Georgia with the story um, bridge experience and uh, swamp soup. Or is that what it's called? Um, swamp gravy. And swamp gravy. That's right. And yes. Yeah. So I really encourage people to, uh, to check out her podcast. And um, also if you are in uh, the Ashland, Oregon area, our funny money event will be October 7th and 8th. It's a Saturday and Sunday. 
um, super affordable, $55 for the whole weekend, which includes catered dinner on Saturday. And, and then uh, the public performance itself will be Sunday, October 8th from 3 to 5 o'clock um, at the Ashland uh, Bellevue Grange. And you can find more about that on my website, money-morphosis slash funny money and register there and yeah just super excited to uh to create this experience with you rhapsody and to um really i what i really appreciate about you is your articulation of hmm, of truth of human experience uh your ability to navigate what's most uh and find what's most essential and and really uh am super excited to uh to do this event with you and uh so grateful for what you shared today thank you so much crystal i'm really grateful for this space and the invitation to to be a part of this today and i'm also really looking forward to uh the magic that we're going to create on October 7th here in Ashland. And if you are in Ashland, please do come see the show. At least come see the show on October 8th at 3 p.m. Mm-hmm. Yay. All right. Well, everyone, just uh, next time you're, you're uh, dealing with money, put a little smile on your face and remember this this conversation and and find the humor and lightness uh in in money and finances as as a common unifying factor of of humanity on this planet that it really can bring us together instead of uh drive us apart so thank you everyone for listening today thanks for listening If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve. 